everybody and welcome to the All Saints podcast. This is something of a new venture but not an entirely new one and it might be helpful just uh, this time to uh, say a word or two about uh, where this initiative has come from uh, and what we're aiming to do with it. Uh, Those of you who've been at All Saints for more than a few weeks will remember that back in 2020 we began a series of uh, podcasts. When I say we, I mean Pastor Neil and I Uh, just in an an attempt to retain some kind of contact with uh, you all during the pandemic and provide another avenue for teaching and so on. And over the months, it kind of grew in several different directions. First, it grew in length. Um, The uh, videos started to move from three or four minutes to eight or nine or ten minutes. Uh, We tried new things. We tried little series uh, of videos uh, hitting particular issues. And we actually carried on right the way through to the early summer of 2021, Uh, even after we'd begun uh, meeting together in person again for many months uh, after the worst of the pandemic here in Texas. And what we realized was actually, in God's good providence, this has emerged as a helpful way of supplementing some of the teaching that we're doing here at All Saints. There were issues that we were able to address and things we were able to talk about, issues we were able to raise in this kind of context, which seemed, at least to many people, to be helpful and the viewing figures were kind of encouraging. It looked like people were using the daily devotions most days. We ran five a week, Monday through Friday, and touched on a whole range of different issues. We realized, however, that the development of the medium, at least our use of it, had kind of outstripped the original intention. And it was time probably to rethink slightly. They certainly were no longer really devotions in content. There was a much wider variety of teaching on a whole range of theological and cultural topics than uh, you'd normally think of as devotional material. And there were some other reasons why we thought it was a good idea just to press pause for a second, get some feedback from you all and work out how best to use this medium in the future. And this, the All Saints podcast, is the result. So just briefly, what we're going to be doing, instead of... Uh, videos five days a week, Monday through Friday, we're going to be releasing two podcasts and videos a week. The same material on a video, which if you're watching this, it will be on YouTube, Uh, comment disabled because we're not particularly keen to encourage the rancorous talking shot that is normally found in the comment sections and social media, Uh, but also the same content in an audio form. Many people expressed a preference for this because it's got various advantages. The platform is just better optimized for listening to slightly longer uh, discourse material and and conversations, that kind of thing. So we're going to put the same uh, output both on uh, video on YouTube twice a week and then on an audio podcast. If you don't know how to work an audio podcast, then ask somebody who has got the same device as you. Or you could check out uh, the church website, allsaintskirk.com. There'll be a link to a podcast there. And that might just take you to whatever your device is. It might give you instructions on what to do next. But either way, that should be helpful. And what we hope is this will continue to be a helpful medium to engage with various helpful, practical, cultural, theological topics, all aimed at you, the folks at All Saints Presbyterian Church in Fort Worth, Texas, to try and help you to grow in faithfulness in Christ and to uh, wrestle together with issues which we're thinking about um, as a congregation. Just a quick word of thanks. Um, This is all made possible by a steadily growing tech team behind the scenes. Uh, Mr. Gene Franklin, Mr. Nathan uh, 
uh, Hansen and uh, Jared Gurr. Thanks to those guys for doing all of the editing, all of the audio, all of the uh, podcast audio, all of that stuff. Uh, fantastic job. And if you want to get involved, if anybody else wants to get involved, or indeed if you have any suggestions about how we could use this medium in other ways, please don't hesitate to give me a shout, sj at allsaintskirk.com. Happy to hear from you. Okay, so that's the medium. That's what we're going to be doing with these uh, uh, videos and podcasts. Now, what are we going to talk about first? Well, I thought it might be helpful to raise a subject which is slightly difficult to talk about, but as my friend and fellow pastor here at All Saints, Pastor Neil, says, if we don't talk about it, we're never going to talk about it. Uh, it's worth our while discussing because it looks like it is affecting an increasing number of people, both outside and inside the church. I want to talk for a few uh, podcasts and videos about the subject of pornography. Uh, we're going to be thinking about some of the scriptural material, some of the moral issues. We'll think a little bit about some of the cultural uh, background and maybe even some of the social science and so on that has uh, uh, the research that's been done to highlight the effects and the impact of pornography. And I want also to talk as practically as possible about strategies for overcoming this temptation. Um, I should say that all that I'm going to say uh, certainly on all the social science stuff and all the survey data and so on is is pretty widely documented. There has been a fairly substantial amount of research done on this subject, especially in the last decade or so. And when you realise the sums of money involved, you quite quickly realise why that research might have been done. But it's done from a whole range of different perspectives, social sciences, ethicists, public policy experts, people working in media, people working uh, obviously in video production online, as well as theologians and concerned Christians. Uh, and um, a certain degree of, let's say, um, uh, sanctified wisdom is necessary to navigate all that stuff because clearly some of it comes with a whole range of different motives. But nonetheless, uh, that does provide something of a useful picture to the background, which is the, uh, the world we're living in and the world that we've got to deal with as Christians if we want to live faithfully. Now, I should also say, and this is kind of obvious, this is not a particularly pleasant subject to talk about. Um, uh, in this video, I really want to just start talking about some of the background and uh, why it's such an important issue. And some of the statistics are frankly quite chilling, but they're there to highlight why this is a significant issue. This is not just for kind of prurient interest to marvel at the vast numbers involved in this horrendous uh, situation we find ourselves in. It's to emphasise quite how horrendous the situation is and therefore how seriously we must take uh, precautions against it. I should also say the obvious thing, which is that parents of uh, younger children especially, uh, you'll want to exercise your own wisdom and judgment in uh, the appropriate time to share this particular material with your children. Um, and if you decide that, you know what, the first few uh, podcasts on the All Saints podcast are not really going to be appropriate for your children, that's absolutely fine. I would encourage you, of course, to think carefully about uh, when is a good time to talk about this kind of stuff with children because as we'll see it's increasingly affecting younger and younger children and it would be a good thing probably if the first that a young child heard about this was from a parent who loves them rather than from an internet uh, a video provider who's trying to sell them a product that could do them harm but that will leave entirely in your hands and I hope that this is enough time for you to reach for the stop button if you'd rather do that at this stage uh, if you don't think it's appropriate for your kids. 
So let's just start then with a bit of background and some definitions, what we're actually talking about here. By pornography, uh, we mean simply any kind of sexually explicit visual material that is designed to produce or is used in order to produce uh, sexual stimulation of some kind. That's what we're talking about. Um, and it, it involves all kinds of different media. You see it all around you actually in billboards. You see it in print media, um, comics, um, even you, you see comics in, especially in uh, Japanese cultures, uh, and increasingly um, in the US, uh, comics which are kind of cartoony sketches which are really grotesque. I remember being shocked looking over somebody's shoulder on the tube in Tokyo 20-something years ago by what he was reading, which like totally took me by surprise, which of course highlights something else that can be an issue with this uh, um, medium, that you can become exposed to it when you're not looking for it. A great danger for younger children that. But of course the massive change that's taken place recently has been video. Video has made pornography far more virulent in the last 10 or 15 years. Um, it used to be um, the done thing to talk about hard pornography versus soft pornography as though there were kind of two categories. And though it's, I guess, helpful to highlight that um, there are different, what do we say, levels of explicitness or intensity or grotesqueness involved, it's probably better and more helpful to acknowledge a spectrum of material. Um, and the reason for this is it highlights that everything that we're going to talk about is on the same spectrum and there is this awfully slippery slide downhill on it. So right at one end of the spectrum, you might just uh, include th uh, things as familiar, tragically, as billboards with suggestive clothing, slightly revealing tight clothing, suggestive behavior. It's not actually nakedness as such, but it's clearly intended to elicit some kind of sexual arousal. And then you can imagine progressing down the scale through an increasing amount of uh, nudity, explicitness in regard to sexual acts, uh, increasing perversity or even violence, and then right at the far end of the spectrum, it actually becomes illegal, especially when it involves children. And so what you see is uh, all around us, if you just drive down uh, any main interstate highway through an American city or you walk down any high street in some other part of the world, you will see billboards and advertisements and magazines all around you, which are somewhere on this spectrum. If you're just surfing the web innocently enough, you will probably find adverts, even if you've got safe search enabled or whatever the, the contemporary uh, safeguard is, you'll find material there that's somewhere on this spectrum. And the challenge, of course, is to work out what to do about that. And the problem is it's all around us all the time. One of the best selling, I think it was the best selling newspaper in the UK for a while, The, the Sun, had a topless photograph of a model on page three every day for years, I think decades, before it was finally removed in response to campaigners. And there is this great slippery slope down this um, spectrum of perversity. And once you're on it, well, you can imagine uh, the dangers that face you. Um, historically, it's worth just taking a little bit of a step back and trying to figure out what kind of a moment we're at here in one sense, pornography is nothing new. If you know anything about um, the great American theologian and pastor Jonathan Edwards, um, he faced uh, a problem associated with pornography back in the early 18th century. He was a pastor in New England, as many of you will know. 
and he had to deal with a bunch of young lads who were passing around pictures taken from what became known as the midwife's book. It was a gynecological manual to help midwives in, in their training and so on. And it looks like, from the historical records, that this was being used partly for their own titillation and partly to mock other girls and so on in the community. But this is nothing new. These uh, hand-drawn ink and pencil images were even then, back in the early 18th century, being used for these kind of perverse purposes. With the rise of print media, colour magazines and so on, uh, obviously this has become more prevalent. Early black and white movies, think of um, What the Butler Saw, that a movie back in the early 20th century, one of the first movies actually to be made, and certainly one of the most popular, says something, doesn't it, about uh, late Victorian culture, if you're thinking from a, a British perspective, or early 20th century American culture. Of course, with TV, the increasing number of channels, the widespread availability of uh, video by mail order in the later 20th century, uh, that um, produced the kind of top-shelf video genre and the late-night pornographic uh, TV shows uh, and everything else on TV and advertisements which are on that spectrum of pornographic material. But more recently, and this really is in the last 15 years or so, there is one factor which has come to completely overwhelm the industry and bring it much, much closer to us in a much more potent and virulent and dangerous way. And that, of course, is the rise of the internet and particularly smartphones. Just think about what's happened um, in the last 15 years or so. Um, the, uh, the rise of the smartphone and the rise of the internet now completely dominates the landscape of the pornography industry. And you know how big the internet is. I mean, everything happens on the internet, basically. Uh, almost everything, right? Um, but everything happens online. And then you look at the proportion of uh, the internet's traffic, which is devoted to this uh, kind of usage. And the numbers are absolutely shocking. Something like 12% of all websites are pornographic. An average of 250 or 300 new ones are added every single day. Pornography accounts for 25% of all internet searches, 30% of all video and 35% of all downloads. Just think about that for a second. One in four Google searches. If you're working for Google, a quarter of your business, so to speak, comes from this one source. Uh, globally, pornography accounts for more traffic than Netflix, Amazon and Twitter combined. Money is uh, always the interesting statistic because it tells you not just what people are doing but where their focus really is. And the thing about the pornography industry is it's so shrouded in secrecy, uh, at least in those contexts, you know, the people who are actually making the money out of it, that nobody really knows how much money is generated, if that's the right word, through this industry every year. A couple of years ago, the statistics were probably somewhere between 10 and 100 billion US dollars, but very likely that's uh, not even close to the figure today. To put it in perspective, in the US, where the most data is available for various reasons, um, pornography generates more revenue than the NFL, the National Basketball League, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. If you were a visitor from outer space and trying to work out what it is that Americans are interested in, it would not be sport. Okay, pornography would be the most obvious answer. Uh, and you've probably received all the 
uh, if you ever check your spam folder in Gmail or whatever um, uh, email provider you use, you will see a tiny, tiny tip of a vast iceberg, something like 2.5 billion emails containing links to pornographic material are sent every day. So this is a massive massive online industry which simply didn't exist in that form 30 years ago and certainly didn't provide the links to the graphic uh, video content that are now available and have been for the last 15 years or so. So if you think about the historical change that we've witnessed even in the last 50 years where that leaves us is somewhere quite disturbing. A couple of generations ago if you wanted to find pornographic materials, you would probably need to either join some kind of mail order club, which would be quite expensive, or you'd need to go into um, a kind of CD newspaper shop or a newsagent or some other kind of store uh, and uh, ask the lady behind the counter who might know your mother for one of the magazines on the top shelf. And the barriers, therefore, to getting hold of this material were quite high. Whereas nowadays, it is more widespread, more graphic, uh, more widely available, there's more of it, it's more easily accessible, and it can all be done in private, so to speak. Well, nothing is really done in private, is it? But uh, much more privately from other people's eyes than ever before. And that's all happened within a generation. Now, when you start to dig a bit more deeply into the statistics, it actually becomes quite complicated to work out how many people this is affecting. But there is no good news here, I'm afraid, either. Um, the, if you look around for well-researched, um, peer-reviewed journal articles giving data, you find even there quite a wide variation probably because of differences in communities and differences in methodologies. But the overall picture is pretty clear. It looks like at the low end, um, somewhere between 75% and the high 90% of men use pornography, at least occasionally, if not regularly, 75 to 90 something. And women, the figures look like slightly lower but again there's a wide variation somewhere between 30 and 90 or 92 percent that's those are the kind of figures that different uh, surveys and different research will report and probably the reason for the differences are change over time this is an extremely rapidly growing industry different methodologies there are different ways of trying to work out how many people have ever viewed or regularly view pornography do you do survey data um, do you try and track internet usage of course if you ask people uh, there's some variation introduced by the fact that not everybody's going to tell you the truth in some communities you'll get a different kind of response because there is less uh, shame associated with this kind of uh, internet usage whereas in other communities there is a, a right degree of uh, shame and embarrassment and therefore people tend to hide their behavior a little bit more there's more stigma attached to it but roughly speaking it looks like somewhere between three quarters and 95 percent of men use pornography reasonably re uh, frequently and somewhere between 30 and 90 odd percent of women I don't know whether that's a surprise to you. Um, many people are surprised by the number of women who use pornography. But then you think, well, from a uh, perspective of how we're made, we're all sinners. We all have 
sexual desires. It's not surprising, um, notwithstanding the obvious biological differences between men and women, it's not surprising that there are um, high numbers of both men and women affected by this kind of uh, material. And if you just think about what that might mean, imagine if you get, if you said, let's say that 90% of men and somewhere in the middle 60% of women were uh, affected or had used pornography reasonably frequently and then people married roughly at random within that community if you do the stats and work out the numbers that would mean that out of 25 marriages 24 of them would have one person at least who was using pornography out of 25 marriages 24 would be thus affected. So this is not a small issue. Uh, the picture gets even more bleak when we start to consider how early um, this kind of uh, use of the internet uh, becomes prevalent. And this is probably one of the more significant changes in the last 10 or 15 years or so. Uh, 15 years ago, almost no kids had a smartphone. 15 years ago, Almost no kids had easy access to pornographic material. But now, m vast numbers of 10, 11, 12-year-olds and some children who are even younger have smartphones. And it's very, very difficult, even for well-meaning and well-intentioned and diligent parents, to keep tabs on what they're doing. Notwithstanding the fact that kids can easily stumble across this kind of material accidentally. So just to look at some of the statistics, and this is from extremely recent work, which has been peer-reviewed and published in a journal just in 2021. It looks like around 10% of under 10-year-olds have viewed pornography online. I think that came from survey data. And many of, that, many of those people were, uh, um, came across it accidentally. Um, the browser settings weren't right for them, and they were on some social media site or some other website, and they got fed something which they clicked. Or they clicked an email which had a link in it, which led them somewhere they didn't mean to go. Predictably, the rates increase quite dramatically through the teenage years. By the age of 13, it looks like more than half of men and women combined, young men and women combined, have viewed pornography. That 13 looks like the tipping point where you go over into the, uh, the majority of young people have at some point viewed pornographic material online. And one article, again, the 2021 article, uh, surveyed a bunch of 14 to 18 year olds and found that 84% of males and 57% of females admitted to using pornography uh, recently or frequently, I forget the details. But you get the picture. It's definitely not the case that this is um, just a problem for um, old people or just a problem for adults. You know, we can talk about it with young people in their 20s. Uh, it seems that the world out there, at least, um, it's a problem right from an early age. If you imagine, what, what would you do if there was something that was capable of causing very serious harm to your 10-year-old and one in 10 of the 10-year-old's who they might bump into in ran at random out in the streets had already been affected by this. That's something you'd probably want to take some kind of precautions against. Well, that's the situation that we're living in. Now, uh, there has been a little bit of work done trying to work out how much of a problem this is in the church in particular. 
And probably um, this has arisen from the fact that Christians have rightly realised that this is a problem and many Christians are struggling to rid themselves of what feels to them like a kind of addiction. So pastors and others have responded to this by trying to work out how big of a deal it is, how big of a problem it is. And it's tempting to be optimistic here and all the stats that I've given you so far, you might end up, you might think, well, look, I'm pretty sure my kids aren't like that. I'm pretty sure our kids aren't like that. And that might be true. It might be that uh, at All Saints or in your family, we are in a kind of island of extremely low pornographic material usage. But let's be cautious before we leap to that conclusion. In fact, it turns out that it is possible to quantify, or at least to estimate quantitatively, how prevalent pornography usage is among Christian communities. And the figures are actually slightly counterintuitive. Um, it turns out there are other ways of working out what people do on the internet than uh, simply asking them. What you can do instead is to look at internet search data across let's say the US and this has been done uh, researchers looked at internet search data across the whole of the US and they broke it down geographically by county so you imagine uh, a map of uh, all the counties in the, the United States and figures for um, the prevalence of internet search terms which indicated searches for pornographic material broken down figures for each county what they then did was to correlate those figures for pornographic material searches with the figures broken down by county for Christian commitment. So, for example, the percentage of people who go to church at least twice a month or something like that. Uh, and in the US, the dominant religion by far is Christianity, Catholic, Protestant. There are obviously a whole range of religious textures within that overall label. Basically, um, if you're religious in America, most of the time you're Christian, if you just take an average. And therefore you can correlate what these researchers called religiosity with pornography usage. And it turns out there's actually a positive correlation, not a negative one. Just think what that means for a second. What it means is that, on average, across the United States, the counties in which there were a higher number of searches for pornographic material per head of population were the counties in which there is a higher prevalence of religious, that is, Christian in America, commitment per head of population. Now, you can wonder all day about the um, reasons why that meet might be. The researchers suggest that uh, what's happening is something quite subtle, whereby in Christian communities, because there are rightly um, taboos associated with various kinds of premarital sexual activity, relationships between boys and girls and so on in their teenage years, rightly Christian communities tend to institute safeguards to protect against that. It's the kind of thing that, that any sensible Christian family, any wise Christian church would try and do. Well, it seems that what happens at least globally or nationally is that the drive gets expressed elsewhere. And that might be the reason for the larger number of um, uh, searches for pornographic material in areas of the US 
where Christian commitment tends to be higher. It doesn't tell you whether they're all Reformed Presbyterians, and it doesn't tell you whether any of them go to All Saints Presbyterian Church, obviously. But suffice it to say that with all those data in mind, the one conclusion that we can't escape is that this could be a significant problem for our community, for your family, for my family, and at the very least, it's something that at some point we have to talk about, and we have to take whatever precautions we can to try and help ourselves, our children, one another to deal with it. A couple of final thoughts about uh, these data. The first is that um, the rapid rate of increase of this uh, of internet pornography in particular means that within a couple of years, all the statistics are out of date in a bad direction. That is to say, things will be worse in 2022, 2023, and so on and so forth, because that's just the direction that things are headed in. Um, we are seeing an entirely new era every year with uh, increasing uh, access to pornography, especially on handheld devices. I mean, if you think about it, we've only had high quality video on handheld devices since about 2007 or 2008. And the growth year on year in number of videos viewed, I think it's something like 30 odd percent per year consistently over a decade and a half. And, and now uh, something like, is it 100 minutes a day on average for under 21s, the amount of video that they consume. It's just absolutely uh, stratospheric numbers. Um, not all of that is pornography, but it gives you a sense of the growth of the medium and how out of control we are. We are living at a moment in history, in other words, in which we might be teetering on the edge or having just fallen over the edge of something pretty bad. And that leads me to the second concluding point, which is we have no idea how bad this is going to be. We have no idea at all. Never before in the whole of human history has a society systematically exposed more than half of its population to graphic, varied, regular, frequent, visual, pornographic video material from about the age of 13, and then ramping up from about 50% to in the 90s by the time those people reach adulthood. We've never done this experiment, quote-unquote, before. Never before as a society tried that and then tried to figure out what happens when those people reach adulthood. Right now, the people who were, let's say, 10 years old when the iPhone came out in 2007, or they're 24 years old now. Hardly old enough to be married if you take an American average. Most of them are not married yet. And so in the next 10 or 20 years, we're going to see what happens when an entire culture has been drenched in this material for a couple of decades. And then they all get married and try and live stable, fruitful, faithful lives. This has never been tried before. And the likely outcome uh, is not, uh, like, it's not likely to be positive. So... Uh, what that means is we have to take this seriously. And uh, what I want to do uh, as we move on to uh, the next uh, podcast in this series, we're going to start looking at uh, how uh, pornographic material affects individuals. And we'll start thinking uh, both about the personal 
and the scriptural responses to it, and then we'll move from there into some practical measures that we could take to safeguard ourselves and to safeguard those around us and for whom we have responsibility from this. But I think that'll do us for now. God bless, and see you next time. <laughs>